morning. So glad you're here today. Um, excited to get into this word. It's going to be a different kind of sermon today, maybe a little different than uh, we've experienced before. It may be a one-in-a-lifetime, uh, once-in-a-lifetime experience. We'll see how it goes. Uh, some exposition, some inductive Bible studies, some congregational response coaching. We're going to do some of that. Some history of our own church and orientation for our multiply vision and our multiply fund. Should have received one of these cards when you came in. Anyone not get one of these when you came in? Um, like a couple over here. Jeremy didn't get one. Anybody else? If you need one, raise your hand. And Jerry or Pat will get that to you over here. And also, Jeremy, thank you. Um, <clears throat> so let's buckle up. Open your Bible, if we will, to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. So this is our first of our two Sundays we're going to be speaking on a multiply vision and a multiply fund. And we do this every January. Uh, the theme for our first multiply vision series back in 2017, was going without knowing. Going without knowing. Jace led us to that and applied what God spoke to Abram to our search for a larger meeting space. We'll read today from chapter 12 of Genesis, where God said to Abraham, go to the land that I will show you. So Abram didn't really know where he was going. He had never been there before. He was just kind of following God, didn't know what was going on exactly. He was going without knowing, and that's kind of where we were in 2017. We had a growing conviction that God wanted us to have a larger church building, a larger facility. We felt God's calling us that way. He didn't know where it was going to be, and what it was going to look like, how it was going to happen, and we're still there. We're still looking to find God's direction for that. But... Uh, as we enter our sixth year of this journey, we want to go back to the roots, go back to Father Abraham for fresh faith for our journey. So we're going to read primarily chapter parts of, part of chapter 12, a little bit of chapter 11, but it's important to understand the significance of this chapter. This is one of the, if you can say it, this, I don't know if this, how you say what's more important or not in the Bible, but one of the most important chapters in the Bible. This chapter 11, chapter 12, I'm sorry, served as a hinge between the first 11 chapters of Genesis, where God is addressing the world and everything, creation and the flood and Noah and the ark and what happened after that. God kind of sets up the beginning of the world in chapter 11, and then up to chapter 11, then in chapter 12, there's a hinge where he pivots and the rest of Genesis is about God and Abraham and his descendants. And so very significant, this is Abram's, Abraham's origin story. This is where we see where it all began. This is the point where the salvation story begins. Remember, God spoke to Adam and Eve and to the serpent in the garden after the fall, and God said to the serpent, there's one coming who's going to crush your head. Yes, you're going to bruise his heel, but that guy's coming, that, that person's coming. That was the seed of the woman who was speaking about Christ. And so that was a plan from the garden. Now we see God rolling up his sleeve, so to speak, and saying, okay, here's where it starts. I'm going to find this man, Abram, 
and change him into Abraham. So this is Abram's origin story, and ultimately the origin story in terms of human history of Jesus Christ himself. This is how we trace it back to understand, and the New Testament writers are just full of allusions and references to Abram and Abraham and, the, and how all things started that culminated in Christ and then in his church and his coming kingdom. So I went to Seth Finnegan's Bible uh, study, uh, How to Study the Bible class Tuesday, and I was inspired by it, recommend it. You could still sign up for it if you like. He taught us about an inductive Bible study. So I was thinking about that, and I think I want to do a little bit of inductive Bible study here on this passage we're going to read. It'll be a little bit different. We're going to kind of dive into what's, what each work, some of the details say and why they're there and what we learn from them. And uh, try to understand the fascinating details that are provided in chapter 12 that have set up the next 39 chapters of Genesis and the rest of the Bible. So here's some things to pay attention to as you read the passage. The genealogy. It's important who's there and why they're there. The ages of the men listed in the genealogy. And interestingly, the age they sired their first son. When their firstborn son came along, how old they were. The places where they journey to, the names, the names, and often the names have meanings that are significant, help us understand the story and what's happening. And of course, what God said and what Abram did. So, for example, little details you have to pay attention to sort them out, as Seth taught us to look at. For example, it's a very small thing, but it's helpful to know. In this passage, there are three herons, H-A-R-A-N, three different Times that name is used, two times is referring to men, two different men, and one times to a city. It's kind of confusing, but it's good to know who we're talking about. Well, it's different people. Another example, which is interesting to me, and we know this from, from reading up to in Genesis up to this point. I'm reading through the Bible in a year, so I'm reading Genesis, just finished Genesis. And so you see this fascinating truths, these fascinating realities pre-Diluvian, right? Before the flood, people lived hundreds of years. 700, 800, 900 years they lived. Why did that happen? We don't know. Maybe the world was different. Maybe there was something in the atmosphere that changed with the flood. I don't know. But before the flood, they lived a long time. And they also took a long time to get around to having children. They were in their hundreds sometime before they started having kids. Methuselah, for, for example, who I'm as old as, Methuselah, <laughs> who lived to be 969 years old, the oldest man of the Bible, he didn't get around to having his first son, Lamech, until he was 187. So ladies, you may think men wait a long time to pop the question these days. Count your blessings. Could be 100 years for some of these guys. It's a teaching and leadership, right? Come on, guys. Need to go to, um, to marriage class on dating and courtship. Figure it out. Now, something happened in the flood. Something altered. I don't, know, I don't know what it was, but after the flood, the men were on fire to have children. Most of them were in their 30s when they had their children. It's like seven generations in a row. 29, 30, 35, 34, they were just like in their 30s. They were like, we're going to make this thing happen. We're going to raise our family. We're going to get going. 
And then we get to Terah. And Terah is the father of Abram and his brothers. And Terah was 70 when his first son was born. So it's noteworthy. So for seven generations, guys are in their 30s, and now he waits till he's... That was unusual. And so it's important to know that. Why does it matter? Because Abram reached the age of 75, and he still didn't have an heir. People were starting to talk. What's going on with Aaron, with Abram? What's going on with Sarai? People began to talk, and God began to talk, and give some directions. And so what follows in Genesis is a fascinating story of God's faithfulness to fulfill His promises to Abram and his descendants, and their faithfulness to eventually, circuitously, distractedly, but ultimately, believingly and faithfully, follow God's call. That's how our lives are, too. Since they we're going to dip our toes in the beginning of the origin story and apply it to our lives, hopefully for encouragement as we're on this journey of faith, but also to us as a church community as we think about our journey of faith for a new location, for a promised land, for our building. And so we're going to do that, but first, there, there's more. We're going to do some training in congregational responsiveness. How many were here last week? Your hand. So our lead pastor exhorted us to be more responsive in our listening to sermons, to lean in, to pay attention, to, to be responsive. And so I thought, all by myself, I came up with the idea that it'd be good to do some training in how to be responsive. So I made some little cue cards that I'm going to hold up and then you'll see them and know, oh, now's the time to be responsive. So let's practice. You ready? Amen. Amen, that's right. Amen, exclamation point. Amen. Amen. Now that's the most common word used when you're, when you're responsive. But there's some, I want to expand our vocabulary a little bit. So when something kind of sad, kind of poignant happens, you know, we want to lean in, we want to feel that in there. And so, and so it's appropriate to say... Oh, 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 I'm sorry that happened. <laughs> and, then, and then sometimes that ain't right happens. Sometimes it's like that wasn't supposed to happen. And so we go, hmm, hmm, I don't think so. So, got it? All right. So we're going to pick up the thread of this story in chapter 11, read through part of chapter 12, 11, 27 to 12, 9, and we're going to practice responsiveness in, to God's scripture, letting our hearts get engaged and letting our lips get engaged as well. So if you hear me pause, it's probably because I've got a cue card up and you can respond. In spite of all this, this is God's word, and it is inerrant and sufficient and necessary. And so let's read it together. Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, 
These are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. Oh, that's sad. Left Lot alone as an orphan. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. Okay, so here we have these two names here, and they, and they mean something. The name Abram means father. But we know eventually it's going to be changed to Abraham, which means exalted father. Sarai, it's a little, it's a little more obscure. Some think it means my princess meaning kind of individually, and then later Sarah means princess in a more broad sense. Others say, no, it doesn't make sense. But it may be it, may be it was a, a name that was of another religion or a, from another culture. And so changing from that to Sarah, which is princess. And so she, so they, they were changed by the process. Their faith changed over the years. And their responsiveness and their obedience changed, and they sinned, they failed. But they reached a place where they were renamed Abraham and Sarah. And all these names have a lot of different meanings. And there's other people we'll introduce here that, that are important for later on. Like Nahor's wife, Milcah, who was the grandmother and great-grandmother of Isaac and Jacob's wives. And so all this ties in. This is the origin story, right? So, the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, other Haran, not the same Haran, different Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Now, Sarah was barren. She had no child. Oh, that's sad. Sorry, Sorry Sarai. <laughs> Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, the first Haran, he was now an orphan, and Terah took him under his wing, his grandson, right? Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. Okay, stop there for a minute. So I had forgotten this detail when I read Genesis again for the first time recently, um, that Abram was actually already on the way to Canaan. Something had happened. Bible doesn't tell us why they wanted to go there. God apparently was moving them in that direction, leading through Terah, and they were on that on the way to Canaan. But when they came to Haran city, they settled there. Hmm. I thought they were going to Canaan, but they settled at Haran. Hmm. Got to pay attention. What does that mean? Why is that important? The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Too bad. Now, now this is the good stuff here. Verse 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, after his father died, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. 
and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen. Amen. This is God's first declaration that there's a gospel coming. There's a, through Abram's descendants, there's a gospel coming. This broken world where husbands and wives turn against each other, where families are broken, where there's wars, where there's abuse, where there's addiction, all these things happen. God says, no, there's a coming kingdom. There's a coming message. There's a coming gospel that's going to heal the nations, going to be offering peace and blessing to all the families of the earth. And Abraham, it's starting now. Come on. Amen. This is where it all begins. God's call through the descendants of Abraham, who we are by faith, the Bible tells us. We are called to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. The next three words are really important. So Abram went. God spoke, God commanded. Abram obeyed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Hmm. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, what'd you say, Lord? Verse 12. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Lot was his kindred and from his father's house. God told Abram to leave him behind. He probably felt sorry for him. Lot was kind of a loser, so he may have had that attribute about him already, but he may have felt sorry for him, but God said, and, well, you, most of you may have read Genesis. Lot was, Lot was a hot mess. He, he caused a lot of problems. His shepherds fought with Abram's shepherds, and they were greedy over land. He took the best land for himself, got mixed up in Sodom. But he got, got taken, like, even before that, he was captured and had to be rescued. It was just a lot of attraction, a lot of problems that we're supposed to understand wasn't supposed to happen. But God was still faithful to bring about his purposes. Verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran. They set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place to a place at Shechem, to the yoke of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord, the Lord appeared to Abram again and said, To your offspring... I will give this land. So we know from the New Testament that offspring, not plural, singular, ultimately is talking about Jesus. 
the offspring of the woman, of Eve in the garden, now the offspring of Abram, someday the offspring coming, Jesus Christ, he's coming, the, the Messiah, the promised one, to die on the cross, to take the sin of mankind, to deliver a people and to prepare a people for God's own glory. He said, to your descendant, I will give this land. So we built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and A on the, on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still going toward the Negev. Let's back up and look. What did God say? What did God promise and command? Well, God commanded Abram to go. Go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And what was the promise? I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And if they dishonor you, I'm going to curse them. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And there's this offspring of yours that's coming. I'm going to give the whole earth to him. Certainly it's had some fulfillment in Isaac and fulfillment in Jacob and in Israel and many fulfillments along the way, but ultimately he's talking about Jesus. So what did Abram do? Well, Abram believed. And we'll see later that it was counted to him as righteousness. So we can love and know God because our father Abraham believed. And through his faith he was made righteous in anticipation of Jesus coming and dying on the cross for his sins the Old Testament saints died in faith of what was to come we live in faith of what has happened he believed he obeyed and he worshipped he built an altar he called on the name of the Lord so what was true of him then, what's true of us now, it's not ultimately about lands. It's not ultimately about our names. It's not ultimately about buildings. It's ultimately about worship. Ultimately about worship. God was sending Abram into this country. Someday he'd give them this land. Not because they were great people, because they were not actually very good people. He wanted more worship. And he sent them through the ages. And it preserved his word. Sent Jesus to die on the cross so there would be more worship. And what we do here is an extension of what he did. started there as we are here. That all the families of the earth, all the families of our communities, all the families of where we go would be blessed by knowing Jesus Christ, not for ourselves, but so that God will be worshipped. Whatever facility we have, wherever we go, whatever we do, we do so there's more worship. 
You can do that by yourself if you want to. We see in Genesis how God was faithful to fulfill his promise to the twists and turns of Abraham's life. Let's take a few minutes to review the twists and turns of our journey as a church. So we can consider both God's faithfulness and our call to be faithful on the journey he has called us to. So we're going to do a little family history here. Some of you know this. Some of you know some of it. Some of you have lived all of it. So going back to the beginning, uh, our family of churches, Sovereign Grace Churches, began out of a church that was planted around 1980, Covenant Life Church in Maryland, uh, was planted, and C.J. Mahaney was a senior pastor. They had been, he'd been part of a teaching ministry that taught in different places and traveled and taught at conferences, but they looked in Scripture and realized the local church is where God holds the best place for disciples to be made and to be sent out. And the, the local church is the model for the kingdom of God's expansion in an ecclesiological way. So realizing it's not good enough just to be teaching, the lives need to be built together. They planted a church. And so out of that, other churches began to be adopted or planted. In 1982, uh, church here in Berea was uh, a young charismatic congregation reached out to them and asked for some help and they uh, they uh, went and adopted that church and that church was called North Coast Church. We have folks here who were part of that church back in the day. Some point early on they begin to realize, okay, God's doing something here with these churches, so we need an organization, a structure, ultimately denomination. So they started denomination, they called, they, because I wasn't part of it at the time, we called People of Destiny. Pretty impressive, huh? We're people of destiny, y'all. We got a destiny. We even had a song. I have a destiny I know I shall fulfill. I have a destiny in that city on a hill. I have a destiny that's not an empty wish, for I know I was born for such a time as this. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yes. I mean, sincerely, there was just this really sense of God moving in powerful ways, and we did sense. And I was not in this movement. I was part of what God was doing. And yeah, you just had this, God's, on, God's in charge. But names have meanings, right? So in the, in the late 90s, the name was changed to Sovereign Grace Ministries. The name of the organ, our family of churches, the nation was changed to Sovereign Grace Churches to reflect the theological truth that it's really all about God's sovereignty and not our sweaty clinging to our destinies. Now my destiny is important. Here's God's glory in His, in His sovereignty. Then at last, the name was changed to Sovereign Grace churches to reflect the centrality of the local church in God's plan to glorify himself and reach the loss. Okay, Covenant Grace Church started in 1984. It was, it was a plant out of North Coast Church in Berea. And we have a couple of folks, I think just two, who were part of that original plant, Diane Walter and Brenda DeMont. Brenda and Bruce were part of that. They sacrificed. They came and gave their lives 
And a, and a group of people came and said, we want to see God's kingdom extended and another church is a, is a means of grace to this community. We owe them a lot. That church was called, at the time, Tri-County Church, which I think was out of maybe the composition of the church. There were people from three counties in, in attendance, maybe a desire to have an outreach to three counties. It was, uh, it was the name that was given at the time. And, uh, and that church prospered, uh, certainly, and grew. Um, just kind of sequentially here, uh, Timeline-wise, Karen and I moved here in 1990. My wife Karen and I moved here in 1990 with an offer. I was called, invited here to be a pastor at the church. And, uh, and 20 years later, <laughs> 22 years later, that happened. So there was some twists and turns along the way where God was totally in charge of. But I became a bivocational pastor in 2012, came on staff in 2018. Jacob and Kathy Wilson moved here in 2008. Jacob was ordained as an elder here in 2021. Jason Jenny moved here in 2012. Jason was ordained here later that year in 2012, was set in as lead pastor in 2013. A little bit of our, of our family history, some of the twists and turns that have happened. Now, in the mid-90s, our, this church, Tri-County Church, was name was changed to Life Church. And that was, I believe, to make a more positive statement perhaps make it more accessible to those who aren't from a Christian background. Uh, but then sadly we found there was another church in the area that had that name, so we had to change our name again. But it was a good thing. I'm glad. We changed it to what it is currently, Covenant of Grace Church. And we did that, I think, to reflect our appreciation of God's sovereignty and His covenants. Now I should, I should tell you this, for those of you who are more recent, a few years ago, it's one of those twists in the way, the elders of the church, of whom I'm one, proposed to the congregation they would change the name of the church to Crossway Church, again, to try to be more accessible to those who are outside the Christian culture. To which the congregation said, hmm, I don't, I don't think so. There were some who were in favor of it, but Jess Arlea basically stood up, grabbed his staff and said, you shall not pass! <laughs> oh, I got to catch it by side of that one. Oh. So we said, okay. <laughs> And then after that, God gave us this, uh, this really excellent logo that expresses the covenants of grace, and, uh, and we're glad we did not change the name. But that happened. Moving along. Prior to 2016, our Sunday morning attendance was around 130 people. Long, up, it had gone up and down over the years, but that was about the average. 2015, that was the average. 2016, we averaged 150. There had been a growth spurt. 2017, 177, we're hitting over 200 on a Sunday morning, and technically only 200 people are supposed to be in this building, this one place at one time. We had an overflow next door in the Grace House, so we were hitting over 200. 
In 2018, we averaged 200, so we started two services, which we have now, as you know. With two services, we gained room to grow numerically, of which we're so grateful, because God has added many wonderful folks because there's room. But we lost some very high values for us that we treasure in Scripture and we long for. The principal one being the ability to gather together as one congregation. Let's see the picture of communion in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where we are we participate as one body in the bread and the wine. That's why we don't take communion at home. We take it to the gathered church. And so we just long to all be together for that, as well as not to grow into two congregations. We just want everybody together. We also don't really have time for Sunday morning discipleship classes which are just, it's just a lot easier for people to come in on a Sunday. Tuesday night we're doing them. I'm grateful, very successful, but we just long for that ability. Also with our growth, we just don't have enough room for indoor receptions anymore. Like we used to have a Christmas uh, uh, Christmas cookie exchange next door in Grace House, and just literally there's not enough room for people there, at least if you wanted to keep your sanity, or me, my sanity. That sounds like you want my sanity back or something. (laughs) Please, good Lord. And we feel a great lack of community and adult educational space. This facility is just not big enough for us. So those are reasons enough to feel God's call to find a larger place to meet. But in 2018, at a leadership retreat, we felt the Lord leading us to ask for a facility that would seat 300 to 500 on a Sunday morning and could serve as an operational base from which we could plant other churches. And that's our dream, we're willing. For God to raise up men and women in our congregation and us to be able to send out and plant more churches. And so we have a vision of this location where we can grow more, maybe gain some more strength, raise up more folks and plant out from there. Also at the end of 2017, we embraced the vision of a yearly multiply vision fund for this new location. We've just concluded our fifth year, and we have $516,000 in the account. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So so much sacrificial giving, faithful, month after month, year after year, giving, seeing, going without knowing. Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. We are now in the Multiply series. We want to think about 2023. So why don't you grab the card that, uh, that you got when you came in. Let me read it. <clears throat> Multiply 2023. The Multiply initiative began in 2017 in response to the sustained growth in attendance. God's initiative to bring growth strengthened our conviction to sow our finances into his field for an increased harvest of righteousness and thanksgiving in the lives of others. It's inspired by 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11. We envision moving to a larger meeting space that will enable us to gather in one service, to offer Sunday discipleship classes, and to continue to grow so we can plant new churches and provide them with support. The Multiply Fund is targeted to meet the demands to improve in a larger meeting space, 
so that our regular tithes and offerings can be used to maintain our facility and expand ministry. Response to God's call to multiply by the end of January 2023, faithful saints will have sacrificed, uh, sacrificially given over, it's even more than we thought it was going to be when we printed this, $516,000 to the Multiply Fund. We are blown away by that amount. But even more blessed by seeing so many freely giving. As we complete five years of our Multiply Initiative, we hear God's renewed call to faithfulness to press on toward the goal of a facility that better facilitates our mission and ministry. Your pastors. That's our vision. We don't want to settle in, Aaron, so to speak, like Tara did. We want to move on and prepare for that. So let's kind of go back to our passage and let's pull out some main points we can take away from to apply to our, to think about how it applies to Abram and that generation, how it applies to our lives individually, and how it perhaps we as a church community, how it applies to us in regards to the sense that your leaders, your pastors feel God's called us to go. We don't know where yet, but we feel that call. So three points. Reality for our journey. Number one, God is faithful to carry us on the journey. God is faithful to carry us on the journey through all of our sin, our distractions, and our trials. So back in Genesis, there are two major realities that all of Genesis encompasses. One is, people are deeply flawed, sinful, and work against God's plan. So over and over and over again, they just don't get it. They just don't obey or obey partially or get into trouble or get distracted or enemies attack. All through Genesis, we see this narrative. But secondly, we see God is faithful to make his plan succeed anyway. God's faithful to make his plan succeed anyway. So about our individual lives wherever you are in your life with Christ. You may be stuck someplace. You may have a challenge. You may have dreams that have never been fulfilled. You may feel like you have no gifting and you don't know what to do as a Christian. You may, wherever you are, God is saying, through the example of Abraham, through Christ raising from the dead, through the Spirit dwelling in you, that whatever that plan is, it will not fail. 2 Thessalonians 5, 23-24 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now, as the old worn-out phrase says, as God basically says, we can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. We obey, we trust. It's easier. Maybe not easy, but easier. Okay, how does it apply to us as a community, as a church? Listen, you know, we've looked hard for a building. We've looked at old church buildings. We've looked at a synagogue, looked hard at the synagogue. 
We've even looked at a Masonic temple over the years. We've looked at office buildings. We've looked at renting an auditorium on Sundays. We've looked at land with the idea of building. Nothing's worked. It's either too big or it's too small. It's too old. It's too big. It's too expensive. There's no parking. We haven't found it yet. Nothing's off the table, but we feel like right now our focus is on perhaps a church building that's falling into disuse. Like two other churches in our region found in 2020, our, our sister church in Toronto, Sovereign Grace Church of Toronto, they were approached by a congregation that was dwindling and they were given a building, a nice building. And they have grown dramatically in the last two years. God just made that happen. Or like our sister church in Dayton. They weren't even planning to, for a building, really. They were thinking about it. But this church building was empty in the area where they wanted. So they got it for a relative song. Yeah, it needs some work. But it's, you know, God just opened that door. So that would be a sweet thing. So that's one of the things that we're looking for. Could be like, perhaps like a, an office building that could be converted, like Sovereign Grace Church in Louisville. Just last year, they found this office building, and the church is moving into it, Sovereign Grace uh, uh, Church's offices, as well as the Pastors College, Sovereign Grace Music are all moving into this building, and they've renovated it, they're in there using it, it's working for them fantastic. Could be something like that. Or it could be a warehouse or a retail building that could be converted into church building. So those are the things that look more likely to us right now within what we think we could might take on. We're told by some that in the coming months and years there'll be more commercial, uh, commercial buildings and church buildings become available. So we still don't know, but those are the kinds of things that we're looking for. We must trust in God's faithfulness to lead us on. Point number two the journey often takes unexpected turns. The journey often takes unexpected turns. So let's look at the journey of Abram and his family that from Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan. And you, you have a, a slide up on the overhead for you to look at. Hopefully you can see that. If you can see it over on the right-hand side, you see number one. That's Ur of the Chaldeans. That's where Nahor and Abram and Lot and all started out. And they were going to Canaan, which is actually just due west. But it would have been dangerous to try to cross the desert, a lack of water. There was a road, but they, but they decided not to go that way. They went up that river, the Euphrates, because there was water available and it was safer. And so they did that. And they got up to Haran, up there at the top where the number two is. And that's where they parked. That's where they settled. Got that far. Don't know why. They decided to stop there. Eventually, though, when Tehor, uh, died, Nahor died and Terah died and Abram got the call, then Abram went down the coast to the promised land. And you see there three and five. That's kind of the general area of the promised land. You probably remember there was a famine. He went down to Egypt, really setting a pattern of what would happen to Isaac as well would do that, that Israel later would do that as well. Be a famine. They, each of those generations would go to Egypt in times of famine all kind of hijinks happened down there, things that shouldn't have been happening, sin, unbelief, things happened down there that weren't good, but not God somehow got him out of it, sent Abram back with the blessing, Isaac back with the blessing, Israel back with the blessing. 
God just made it happen. Shouldn't have happened. Should have died in Egypt. Didn't happen. God made it happen, took them back, and preserved the line of salvation for us. So what about us? So most of us who've been around for a while, which is euphemism for the old folks here, can tell you that life doesn't usually go the way you think it's going to go. You think you can see, okay, I know what's going to happen. And you're blessed by God, and God's in your life, and great things are happening, and you're having victory. And, and then suddenly, um, the wheels fall off. Someone throws a hand grenade in your Humvee. You know, something happens, and it's bad. Didn't go where you wanted to go. Looks like that thing you wanted is not going to happen. That can be discouraging. That's why we have Abraham as an example. That's why we have Scripture as an example. That's why we have the great cloud of witnesses around us that we see in Hebrews 11. Hey guys, we're not the first ones at this rodeo. We're not the first ones with these problems. God's faithful. Philippians 1, 6 says it this way, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's a good time. See, the preacher pauses. He's got to pause. Sometimes they don't pause, but when they do pause, they pause kind of a pregnant pause. You're supposed to birth in, amen. Amen's born out of that pregnant pause. Some of y'all going, hmm, I don't know about all that. <laughs> As a church family, it's tempting to be discouraged and think we'll never find a place. We'll serve our needs like we hoped and prayed. It may be tempting to try some crazy idea like Abraham and Sarah did when they couldn't conceive. They got all kind of sideways with that. God's given us the life of Abraham as an encouragement. Let's not be discouraged. The journey is longer and more difficult than we first thought. Galatians 6, 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. Point number three, we must be faithful to journey on. We must be faithful to journey on. Listen, Terah got to Haran and settled it was hard enough to travel by the dependable Euphrates. Now the, the, the journey may have looked even more difficult. The Euphrates is going to be to the, to the east of us. We're going down. I don't know how it's going to go. He may have, looked, may have looked daunting to him. Plus, Terah and his boys had a good life in Haran, apparently. When Abram and Lot set out for Canaan, they took with them possessions they had gathered, servants they had acquired. They were prosperous. That's probably why Terah didn't want to leave. They, hey, it's working out. We thought about Canaan, it's a good idea, you know, but it's working out here, okay, not that bad. 
Abraham might have stayed there, but God said, go. God said, go. And Abram, Abram went. Abram obeyed. Listen, think about us here. It could be easy to settle here at this facility. I mean, it's paid for, relatively inexpensive to operate. You might even think, hey, I don't think it's so bad here. I like having two services to choose from. You know, I like that. I don't care if I have to shout to make myself heard in Grace House after church. I like to shout. I like that loud atmosphere. I have music blurring all day long. It's great. You may think that. If you don't ever see me over there, it's not because I don't like you. I'm old. I just can't handle all the shouting over there. So we teach our three-year-olds, right? Not about me. Not about us. Not about our comfort. About God's glory. It's about seeing that all the families of the earth are blessed. That's why we're here. So pick your car back up, if you will. Look at the other side. <clears throat> you don't have to read it in detail, but this is a pledge card. So we're asking you to pray and ask the Lord how much you can give financially to the 2023 Multiply Fund. So if you're a member here, or you feel called to be a member here, we'd like to call you to give. Even if it's a symbolic amount. I don't know what's going on in your finances. It may not be, may not be able to give a lot. may not be able to give a month. may be able to give a one-time. But there's strength in unity. There's strength in being one. There's strength in following your leaders. Over the years, some have given heroically, even out of savings. Some have given modest amounts on a monthly basis. Some have given one time. Just take the car home and pray about it. Next week, Jace will bring part two in our Multiply series. And we'll think some more about it. Then the last Sunday of the month, we'll actually receive the pledges. We'll have a time where you can come and put your pledge in some place. And give, your, give it then if you want to. Make the pledge then. And that's what's going to happen. Now, just a little technical thing about how things work. Our, our multiply funds go from February through January. That's how it got started. So it's just how we've kept doing it. So actually, the, what comes in in January goes to the 2022 pledge. So if you want to give to 2023, wait until February. or Give us a check. We'll hold it. Uh, we'll eventually have a way to pledge online if you want to. We're asking you to pray about this. Pray with us. Just be in faith together. Like I said earlier, like about Abram, not about the land, being really about Abram. For us, it's not about buildings. It's not about our name. It's not about us being something. This is all about worship. All about us doing all we can do 
see God's Word expand in this area and around the world. John Piper says, missions happen because worship doesn't. This is a worship, and giving is worship. Would you join us as we pray about this? Let's pray. Father, we we stand, Lord, uh, at a point in history where there have been millennia of faithful men and women who've served the purpose of God in their generations. We look back to Abram and Sarai as they started out to follow a promise already in weakness making mistakes and wrong turns, but Lord, we, we rejoice at your faithfulness to take them every step of the way. So Father, Lord, we come to you now for our church. Father, we, we long to be a people on mission. We long to see people saved. We long to see men and women raised up to plant churches. Long to see men and women raised up to stay and lead community groups, to serve, to be part. Lord, we long to see that growth so that all the families are blessed. So, Father, we're asking you to speak to us. We're asking you to speak to each of our hearts. That you would do a work in our hearts through this vision for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me, if you will, please. We want to take communion at this time. And afterwards, we'll sing a song. If you're a guest here with us today and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've made a public proclamation of faith, then we, uh, we invite you to participate with us. And guys, you can go ahead and start handing out the elements. If you're visiting here today, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You have not made a public proclamation. You're visiting here with somebody. We're so glad you're here. Hope you feel welcomed in our midst. The appropriate thing would be for you to refrain from taking communion. Or perhaps you grew up in the church and you've not made a public proclamation of faith yet. To wait until you do that. And we can receive you as a member of the church. If you don't know Jesus, you'd like to know him. We'd love to talk to you about that. So we want to take a minute while the elements are being passed. We want to pray and just reflect before the Lord about what he's done in our life. Cleanse our hearts before him if there needs to be cleansing. So bow your hearts and let's, let's wait before the Lord.